Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. You know, it becomes harder to argue that it is a Ponzi scheme and a massive bubble when time and time again, it has gone up and gone up more. And the people that keep holding long term are the ones that are better off than before. So I just find it very unlikely that it's going to take another two, three years for people to be convinced to jump in again. And mainly because a lot of these macro investors and long term investors, they're holding long term. They're not interested in just flipping. Welcome back to The Breakdown with me, NLW. It's a daily podcast on macro, Bitcoin, and the big picture power shifts remaking our world. The Breakdown is sponsored by Nexo.io and Bitstamp, and produced and distributed by Coindesk. What's going on, guys? It is Friday, June 18th, and today I am super excited to share a conversation with Larry Cermak. Larry is the director of research at The Block and is just one of the most thoughtful observers of the space out there. One of the things that has been on everyone's mind is, is this bull market actually done? And part of why it's been on people's minds is that they had some idea that we were in a super cycle. Now, I've talked about the super cycle before and what I think is a misperception or mischaracterization of it as meaning up only. Today's show talks about what I actually think the super cycle theory is, which is really about shorter cycles. The idea is that there has been a break from the long multi-year bear market followed by a bull market prompted by the halving sort of cycle that we've observed the last couple times. Instead, we may be moving into something where there are multiple different types of catalysts, where bear and bull markets rotate on a matter of months rather than a matter of years. Larry and I get into why that might be, and in general, where he thinks the market is right now, and what makes it different than the last cycle. It's a really fun little conversation for your Friday, so I hope you enjoy it. Larry, welcome to The Breakdown. I'm super excited to have you here. I'm really excited to be here as well. <laughs> Hopefully it's going to be fun. Nah, it's going to be fun for sure. So, okay. So what we're here today to talk about is, uh, is cycle theories, super cycles, shorter cycles, I don't know, whatever type of cycles we want to name and give a catchy name to. But um, let's start, I guess, with just, you know, you've been tweeting a little bit about people asking you where we are in the markets and you basically throwing up your hands and saying, I don't really know, but here are some observations. <laughs> so let's start there. I mean, where are we in the market cycle? What have you observed? Like kind of where, what is your mental model of, of what's happening right now? 
Yeah. So, I mean, you kind of nailed it. I really, I have no idea. And I think this is like a first time in a really long time where I'm, I have, I really admit that I have no idea. Sometimes I think I know and I'm totally wrong, but now I actually think I don't know, <laughs> uh, which I think is like uh, somewhat unusual, but basically the way I see markets right now is that there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of things that haven't been figured out. Um, and because of that, I can see markets going both ways um, in, you know, or, or just staying the same, uh, you know, same kind of thing that they've been what they've been doing for the last couple of weeks. Um, and, and the reason is, you know, basically, there, there started to be some some sort of weakness, right? Like the, the, the entire run last year started on the institutional narrative, you had MicroStrategy start allocate some money, uh, initially, didn't, people didn't think that was a, such a big deal. And now, um, you know, then that evolved into Square as well, and then Tesla. And and when Tesla finally allocated, the markets just exploded. Um, and, and that made sense. You know, it was a significant company, uh, didn't really dabble in, in crypto and Bitcoin before. Um, and ever since then, we've been kind of like waiting on the sidelines. And, and we've been talking to, you know, Coinbase, Nidic, the, the largest allocators, and they've been telling us, you know, their companies on the sidelines, they're, they're going to come. Uh, it's a lot of them. It just takes a long time. And everyone has kind of been waiting for the last six months and, and nothing has really come out of it. And, and so that narrative has gotten, you know, slightly weaker. Uh, and, and then on top of that, like basically all the retail indicators that we've been watching uh, ever since Tesla news, uh, every, every retail indicator in the world has gone up uh, and it has continued to go up until about, you know, three or four weeks ago. And then now it's, it's started to go down again um, and it's, it's decreasing and, you know, it's just showing that people are, obviously leaving um, the regular retail people. And so now we're in this weird market where there's a lot of uncertainty about, uh, you know, more companies allocating, uh, retail people are leaving. And just because there's less, you know, less demand to buy, it seems like, you know, the market is kind of like going up and down. And then on top of that, you add, you know, this uncertainty from China, then you add this like mystery of what will happen with El Salvador. And it's just a market where, you know, Elon can tweet something and, and Bitcoin will go up by 5%. And other country in Central America can, you know, do something similar to El Salvador and we go up 15%. Um, then China can, you know, announce that they're completely cracking down on mining, which they've kind of been doing. Um, and then that they're cracking down on leverage and trading and we can go down again. So I, I just don't know. I think there can be a lot of things that can happen. And um, you know, I think everyone who's right now, like using a lot of leverage and betting on either side is kind of silly because I, I really, really believe that no one really knows. I feel like the, the, um, sort of inarguable thing is that there, we have a total momentum stall out and no one is willing to step into the void with like an, even, even if it's just, uh, some sort of attempt at a narrative, you know what I mean? Like there's no one who's saying, this is the reason that new people are going to come in right now. I mean, El Salvador sort of creates the beginnings of a possible narrative, but there isn't, there isn't, I mean, you know, uh, companies like Nidig to like, to your uh, previous reference, like Coinbase, they're not out there screaming, just wait another three weeks and we've got more crazy <laughs> things happening, right? It, it's yeah. kind of just like, there's not a, a reason for people to jump in right now. And so everyone's kind of in wait and see mode. Exactly. I think that's totally right. And I think it was kind of similar with MicroStrategy early on last year when people were like, you know, maybe this is just one crazy guy, you know, and then it evolved into something more. And I think that similar can happen with El Salvador. But for now, you're totally right. I mean, there really isn't anything that's kind of pushing the market up as it was before. Um, and, and the strongest narratives are 
right now, I think at the weakest, um, especially when Elon is kind of going around and screaming about, um, you know, uh, the environmental issues and, and then, and then a bunch of other things. So I, I think that's totally right. And I think we're probably not going to find out for some time. And that's why a lot of traders are just taking breaks now because they're just expecting this to take some time. Uh, but yeah, we'll see. So you are obviously one of the the best out there at watching the signals inside the crypto markets. But how much do you think this has to do with larger macro unknowingness too, right? It feels like there's also kind of simultaneously this wait and see mode as it relates to Fed policy, to monetary policy, and you know questions of how long they can sustain zero interest rates and asset buys and things like that. I mean, do you think that's factoring into it at all? Oh, absolutely. And I, we've seen that with gold, like basically breaking down over the last couple of days, slightly on you know, silver has gone down. A lot of commodities uh, are crashing over the last couple of weeks. So it's not, you know, it's not just Bitcoin that's in this weird state of things. Um, and then, you know, I, I kind of I really believe that over the last two months, it was a lot of retail pushing the prices up, um, which which wasn't the case before, you know, last year and then early this year. Um, and now because the retail has started to kind of leave and then, you know, macro is in a lot of uncertainty. Um, there's a lot of volatility in equity markets as well. Um, yeah, I, I, I think you're totally right. Um, we're probably going to find out at some point in the next few months. But for now, um, everything is kind of in uncertainty and, and it's no different for Bitcoin and, and the crypto markets. Yeah, I mean, there's there's also the like much more basic. Uh, it's summer and everyone just wants to be outside again. Uh, thing going on too. But so one of the things that I wanted to, you know, I, I saw a bunch of your tweets, and this is something that you and I had kind of chatted about. But I, I want to talk about what this cycle is, how this cycle is challenging our perception or or, or our thinking about the cyclical nature of these crypto markets. So I guess just to for a little bit of setup, you know, how would you describe for someone who hasn't been here long, maybe who got in over the last, you know, 6 months, 9 months or something like that, how would you describe kind of the previous perception of what the larger crypto market cycle was? And then from there we can talk a little bit about what has how how this cycle has challenged that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, previously, um, even before this year, uh, you know, crypto has been in uh, has been kind of performing in cyclical nature. And what that means is that, um, you know, for a period of time, usually like year, year and a half, uh, prices tend to go up uh, and then uh, there is a correction um, that usually crashes prices by, you know, 70, 80 percent for the next two, three years. And then we go again. And there's this notion that, you know, as more people join and as more people find out about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, especially, um, you know, some of them stay, but, but some of them kind of get discouraged uh, by the volatility. And then we just keep going in these cycles where for, for a couple of years we go up and then for two, three years uh, we go down. And my theory uh, for this market uh, for what we're seeing right now is that it's not going to be uh, the cycles are not going to be as long as they have been like the you know basically the drawdown that we've had from early 2018 until basically you know last year um, it was it was basically three years and that seems quite unlikely right now for for multiple reasons for me um, the the main one being that the infrastructure and and the space has just gone much more mainstream than it has before. Now you have these markets, they're incredibly liquid. You have a lot of institutional buy-in. And, and this, these are not people, at least from as far as I can tell, that these are not investors that are investing with short-term mindsets. These are investors investing with long-term macro mindsets. 
Um, and you know, so you have a buy, you have buying from them. Now you have a country that has um, made this a legal tender. And, um, you know, everything has gone so much forward since the last two years. Uh, and it seems like, you know, now Bitcoin and crypto overall, it's just much more focused on actual usability uh, versus just speculation. And it, it just seems very unlikely to me that all of a sudden, you know, we're going to forget everything that has been done over the last two, three years, all the new, you know, all the new derivative markets, all the new liquidity that has come in. Uh, and all the new infrastructure, um, and we're going to take another three years to hibernate and, and you know build new stuff and attract new people. And another thing that I think is worth like mentioning is that when we look back to 2017, the notion of that you know Bitcoin basically was a scam or there was a Ponzi scheme was so strong, um, and a lot of people thought it was a massive bubble. And you know it becomes harder to argue that it is a Ponzi scheme and, and a massive bubble. When, you know, time and time again, it has gone up and gone up more. And um, the people that keep holding long term are the ones that are, you know, better off than before. So I just find it very unlikely that it's going to take another two, three years for, for people to be convinced to jump in again. And, and, and mainly because a lot of these macro investors and long term investors, they're holding long term. They're not in, really interested that much in just flipping. Um, and, and so I think that's the main reason. But I'm, I'm curious what you think as well. Well, so I, I think that you're I think that you're right to like actually go back and look at comparison points to 2017, 2018 in terms of where the last bull run ended. And a couple things that stand out to me, um, and, and broadly speaking, I completely agree with you. That's why I wanted to, to have you on the show. Um, so first, I think that we because Bitcoin had such a major run up before, I think that we perhaps misremember why there were obviously lots of people who were coming to Bitcoin specifically and getting excited about Bitcoin specifically. But there were also a shitload of people who were just buying Bitcoin so they could get in on crappy ICOs. You know what I mean? Like that a big part of the bid up of the price of Bitcoin was that there wasn't a hundred billion dollars of stable coins out there that you could use to enter these shit coins. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you had to buy Bitcoin more or less to, I mean, you could buy ether too, but Bitcoin was the trading pair. And so that was a huge force. And so a lot of those hands who held Bitcoin, they weren't convicted about it, right? They didn't have the same sort of theories or whatever. It, it, right. Certainly not, not exclusively. I mean, tons of people came in during that cycle and got really into Bitcoin, but I think one, the, to your point, um, there is a much stronger raison d'etre, right? For, for Bitcoin and the people who have come in have a have stronger conviction about it. So that's one part. Part two is just capital left in the system, right? When ICOs crashed, it was a total wipeout <laughs> of absolute vapor. You know what I mean? And right. there is certainly some of that. I mean, a lot of that in uh, you know the the dog coins and things like that that I think will be similar dynamics. But you really can't look at the crypto landscape in terms of where capital has been allocated and see it the same way. So many like meaningful projects have raised a ton of money to build teams. They're longer term. Also, a lot of those teams have the experience of having lived through that and they're doing treasury management differently, right? Like that first time I remember being around in 2017, 2018 and like everyone felt like th like the most brilliant Warren Buffett investor ever for how, <laughs> you know, how rich they had gotten so fast and yeah. they didn't think about moving to less volatile assets for their treasury. They didn't, you know what I mean? Like that, I remember treasury management conversations just barely starting in like May of 2018 when the the it was already way over you know so the thing is I think that how that contributes to uh, to this sort of idea of of shorter cycles is 
if you have more um, more kind of intention, like the, the money that has moved into the space, the people who have been around a long time have higher long-term conviction, one, that's going to buffer things because it sets price floors and all that sort of good stuff. But two, you know, if, if you have teams who are building things, um, particularly in like the DeFi space, uh, you know, around layer two and Bitcoin, whatever, whatever it is that they're building on, that have capital to weather storms, they create the next round of reasons to be excited to bring new people in. You know what I mean? And yeah. and and if they don't get wiped out, which I don't think that they are, uh, you just have you know so much more actual capital to kind of drive into the next thing. I mean, there was really a very long term dearth of capital. You know, it was I agree. just watching hedge funds fall. So I, I, yeah. I, you know, yeah, so that that kind of broadly, I think I think those two things are really different this time. Looking for the best way to unlock your crypto's liquidity? Nexo.io is exactly what you need. Borrow against your digital assets at just 6.9% APR. Earn passive income with yields of up to 12%. And swap between more than 100 market pairs with the instant Nexo exchange. Try the Nexo wallet app to get the whole 360 degrees of crypto banking. Get started at Nexo.io. That's N-E-X-O.io to get started today. Secure, regulated, and reliable, Bitstamp is the cryptocurrency exchange of choice for more than 4 million investors and traders worldwide. Since 2011, Bitstamp has been a trailblazer in security, head of the class in personal customer service, and dedicated to making buying crypto fast and easy. Whether you are investing on our desktop platform and mobile app or trading on our speedy APIs, Bitstamp gives you all the tools you need to reach your crypto goals. Visit bitstamp.net to learn more. Bitstamp, for all the ways we crypto. Hey guys, I want to tell you about the A16Z podcast, the go-to place for discussions about innovation and the future. As technology impacts our lives, changing everything from how we live to how we work and play. Produced by Andreessen Horowitz, otherwise known as A16Z, this is a global podcast featuring the top in their field, undiluted by reporting. Featuring expert voices from Vitalik Buterin to Chris Dixon, the A16Z podcast covers the important trends like crypto, everything from DeFi to NFTs before their trends. The show also features business leaders and entrepreneurs, top industry and academic experts, and up and coming fresh voices, as well as early book authors. So you get the ideas first. The podcast is a top 10 regular on the charts and is on many best of lists and has even influenced policymakers in proposing legislation based directly on listening to episodes. If you want to stay on top of tech in the future, be sure to subscribe to the A16Z podcast. Just search for A16Z in your podcast app and subscribe. We talk to a lot of institutional investors at the block, right? Like our main product is to is, is the block research, and, and we talk to a lot of traditional companies, you know, traditional VC firms, traditional private equity firms, uh, hedge funds, and it, I mean, everyone would be quite surprised about how much capital there is on the sidelines still waiting to be allocated, like right now, and that includes even the crypto VC firms right now. Like I remember twenty, you know, twenty eighteen early on. The crypto VC firms like almost went out of business. Like they ran out of money really quickly and then had to do raises. Right now, everyone still has a lot of lot of capital. All the VC firms and and all the raises that I've seen recently over the last like month or something, they're not having trouble raising at all. So I mean that I think is also a massive difference, and I'm I'm glad you brought it up uh, that. 
there's just so much capital and so many teams building and those teams will like you said uh start these new waves of, of interest and i think you know one of them will be um the, the l2s on ethereum i think that that is going to be an important development and then you know now it seems like there's also some uh, some wind uh blowing for for the lightning network as well with with el salvador so i'm, I'm curious what will happen there as well but there's clearly a lot of development and a lot more focus on actual usability versus in you know 2017 uh, you know it was all vapor like you said and now of course there are the dog coins and, and the meme coins but no one really took that seriously no one really thought that that was going to lead anywhere uh, whereas now you actually have legit projects like building and a lot of talent coming in as well that's another thing that i've noticed over the last like six months you know the, the talent that we're just getting just ourselves to apply for for positions is, is absolutely ridiculous and and i i did not see that in 2017 and 2018 everyone was still skeptical but now all of a sudden everyone's like well this might as well be the new paradigm like i don't want to miss it and a lot of really smart people are drawn to it and, and i don't remember that to be the case last time no i i think that that's right in fact it was it was hilarious i'm sure you had the same uh feeling of you know as things started to heat up this time it's like oh look uh people that i haven't heard from in three years <laughs> who like magically <laughs> yeah. decided that legal cannabis was their actual focus and that's their true passion <laughs> in 2018 are now back because it's crypto finance that's their true focus um <laughs> these are all reasons why you know, uh, why a, a bear market now is unlikely to last the same duration, right? There's all these sort of things, things waiting right in the wings on the other, other side that are potential sources for renewed momentum. I think in general, you know, so obviously there's been a lot of talk of a super cycle, which I think has been kind of misunderstood as a concept to mean up only forever. And, and I think actually maybe this like, you know, I jokingly called it a shorter cycle theory uh, on Twitter or whatever. But like, I think that this is is actually, they're kind of the same theory. It's just a different yeah. definition, right? I mean, so what is like, what is your sense? So this cycle, obviously, you've kind of articulated why it's unlikely to be kind of a multi-year bear market. But in general, I think you obviously have, or it sounds like you have conviction that we're unlikely to see that type of long duration bear market just in general. Do you think that that's just a, uh, when markets mature, they're not likely to have three-year bear periods? And, you know, or what what is it about the market that makes you think that over the long term, we're likely to see shorter cycles as well? Yeah, that's exactly right. I think as markets mature and as you kind of spread your bets a little bit more, it becomes just so much more unlikely that uh, we're going to be, you know, here for three-year periods and, and 80% of all the people will leave and, and then we'll have the same thing again. Um, I think what's just much more likelier is that there is going to be a, a period of pain. There's going to be a period of, you know, let's figure out where the new money will be coming from. Um, and as that kind of gets fixed and as the macro environment gets a little bit clearer, I'm just very convinced that, yeah, we might be able to see something like six or seven months of, of true pain and we can even go much lower than we are right now. But I mean, if we're here again in two or three years talking about how we're just starting a new bull market, I would be very disappointed. And I think I, I tweeted that as well, saying something like, you know, it's either shorter uh, term bear markets or it's just like it's just going to go to zero and and i really don't believe it's going to go to zero uh, there's just so much going on um so yeah i mean my guess would be that we have a period of like less than a year um of of kind of like uncertainty and and not knowing where anything will go but i would be quite surprised if if, if we're here another two three years and, and just kind of chopping 
Well, and I think maybe the flip side too, we, you know, obviously because we were now watching, you know, red lines and the number go down, we're talking a lot about the implications of, uh, on the, on the bear side for, for kind of shorter cycles. But it, I think that you could probably argue, and I'm interested in your take on this too, that like, we've already started to see the difference in the top of the, of, of kind of shorter cycles, right? In the sense that, I think everyone had a perception that if this cycle followed past cycles as it related to the top, we would have to see some crazy parabolic <laughs> move up over the course of a couple of weeks. And we would only be at the highs for, you know, a matter of a couple of days. I yeah. think I saw someone who went back and looked and it was like the average time in previous cycle highs for Bitcoin was like three days or something. And then it was more than 10% <laughs> down. And obviously we were, we were yeah. at pretty sustained levels around, you know, 55 to 65 for a very long time. And so everyone was like, oh, well, it can't be done, right? Because it's like, yeah. it hasn't had that pattern. <laughs> and I, do you think that like on the on the reverse side, on the bull side, that we're also likely to see, you know, less of the crazy run-ups and more kind of mature? I mean, it's still, listen, it was still a big rise, but, you know, it wasn't 2017's December, right? Yeah, I, I think I think that's totally right. Uh, I remember like 2017 when the, when the top was hit, um, I mean, you couldn't even find a consensus number for what the top was because the differences were like 300, 400, 500 bucks. And that, in the, you know, even back then, it was there was a few percent. Uh, so, you know, back then it was just really crazy. And I think you, you nailed it. It's like right now, everyone is trying to still compare it to the last cycle, which was basically only retail driven. And it was driven by complete mania over getting rich from ICOs and, you know, from everything and and. Now we're not in this market, and and I think you're totally right. Like we, we are probably going to see slower rises uh, going up. Uh, I don't think even what we saw over the last, you know, six six or eight months, that was basically a parabolic rise. Yeah, you're you're right. Like yeah, it was there for for a few months, but eventually it's it's just going to be slower, and it's going to be kind of like pricing in things that are coming in uh, versus just one massive repricing that we have once every three years. Uh, I think that's unlikely, and I think it doesn't make too much sense to compare everything to what it was before. Like, yeah, there are definitely parallels, but the dynamic is, is so different. Uh, the investors are so different. Uh, you know, the banks are invested now. The, the, before they were saying it's a scam, pretty much unanimously. Um, so yeah, I would just take everyone who does that with a grain of salt. One of the questions I wanted to ask is around DeFi. I think one of the things that people felt uh, almost robbed by is like, you know, Bitcoin hit its top, ETH hit its top for like a minute. And then, uh, but DeFi never had a chance to like really hit its top. At least that was the kind of broad public perception. Yep. But I wonder if actually, if we like, when we have some distance from it, we'll actually start the clock on this bull market more around, you know, April 2020, right? Like post COVID and see the full run up, you know, DeFi summer 1.0 into uh, kind of Bitcoin's institutional narrative and rise as like that, that was the bull market versus kind of, you know, pinning it around the entrance of MicroStrategy and, you know, December when we actually hit that 20,000 number. I mean, what, what's your take on that? Were you surprised that DeFi didn't have, uh, you know, kind of a, a chance to shine, uh, you know, from a, from a market pricing perspective, uh, post Bitcoin all time high, or, you know, I just, I'm, I'm interested in how you see that. Yeah. Um, I wasn't actually that surprised. <laughs> I think, um, you know, the the thing that drove a lot of the prices other than Bitcoin, even Ethereum, in my opinion, was just retail participation and retail kind of anticipation. 
And it was, it's relatively hard to sell DeFi to someone who doesn't really, who isn't interested in finance and like who, who's just a normal person like trying to invest in something. Like, I think there are a few things that people like to invest in. One is memes. And DeFi really didn't have good memes at all. Um, second one thing is like, actually, you have to have some sort of narrative, right? Like if the narrative for DeFi is that it's a productive asset and you can use it to like lend money, that didn't work for retail because, you know, transaction costs like $150 for one um, at, at the top. You know, I, I couldn't tell my friend who invested a couple thousand dollars to go use Uniswap because he would burn 10% of the entire amount that he invested in one transaction. Um, and I think that was that was really the biggest problem is that it was, you know, you know, it was not communicated clearly. And also it was just not ready for retail participation. And also the memes were just really bad. So <laughs> you just saw a lot of people, you know, go and, and rather buy a Shiba token because it has a nice dog there versus buying something that actually could produce, um, you know, some sort of productive thing, like whether, whether that be dividends or, you know, what, whatever it is, like burns based on how much activity there is. Um, so I think that was the, that was the biggest reason. And I think that could change in the future where, you know, a lot of DeFi protocols that have become you know valuable last summer uh, they will learn from this um for example one thing i don't understand is like retail is clearly attracted to really low units right and in DeFi, like everything like you have something like wifi and and you know at the top it costs sixty seventy thousand dollars like obviously people are not going to invest and then obviously you're seeing all all these meme tokens with you know, basically trillions in tokens and supply just to trick people into investing. I'm not saying like DeFi protocols should trick people, but they should communicate and, and they should kind of get the narratives a little bit better than just saying, oh, it's product, it's a productive asset. It acts like equity. You should invest like, you know, 20 year olds don't care. Um, they care about what's going to, you know, make them some money. They care about the narrative, about the meme. Um, so I think that was the biggest reason. But I mean, you're totally right. Like last summer, um, it was a it was basically a DeFi bull market. It was absolutely crazy how many people got rich just on buying early and then, you know, holding for some time. Um, but yeah, a lot of people were wrong. A lot of people thought that after Bitcoin runs up, you know, there's going to be basically the capital will move from de from there to DeFi, and that hasn't happened. Do you think actually it's this is something that I've thought about a lot? Like DeFi has weirdly through its um, inaccessibility, through its barriers to entry, kind of uh, allowed itself to grow in this crazy sandbox without a lot of pain to people. Like retail hasn't gotten burned on DeFi, largely because they haven't come in, but it means that it's pretty much only people who understand the risks. Yeah. And I think, you know, to the extent that you see regulatory risk in around DeFi or anything like that, one of the strongest arguments probably i think against that is like look you know there's there's nothing approximate to icos where you know korean pensioners are getting burned on crappy tokens that were out <laughs> shilling them like it it feels like it's probably you know like net net much better for defi in the long run that it has had this long incubation period with you know sophisticated investors yeah i agree and i think you know, I, I think this is going to be like a little bit similar to infrastructure for Bitcoin and for for other cryptocurrencies, where it's quite likely to me that some fintechs and some uh, some financial businesses will actually implement DeFi passively for users, and, and for example, you know, let them collect yield that they normally wouldn't be able to get in a traditional financial system. I think that's more likely, where you'll have some sort of like a you know guarded system 
where you have passive and, and active strategies in DeFi kind of done for you uh, without you having to understand what's going on in the background. But there's clearly, you know, a problem in kind of communication, problem in, um, in, in just letting more people try this thing. Um, and, and I think we'll get there with L2s and with more L1s kind of trying to compete with Ethereum. It's super interesting. I mean, I, we, I, th- I feel like we need to like come back to this in a few months and see how it how it's played <laughs> out. But I guess w- one last question for you is kind of you know, as you survey the risks out there, right? Things that could make bear markets more prolonged, things that could drive the markets lower. You know, all the different types of FUD. What do you perceive as the actual most? Is there anything that actually concerns you versus is just another FUD to get through? Uh. It's a good question. I think the I think the environmental kind of whatever you want to call it, environmental concerns. Uh, I think it's more serious than people think, and, and not necessarily because I agree with it, but because it's just very simple to understand. It's like a super simple thing to sell to people is that Bitcoin is destroying the environment. Bitcoin is helping, you know, uh, contribute to the global warming, and and we start seeing politicians and people that normally are against Bitcoin just start using that argument uh, more strongly. Um, and I think like someone like Elon Musk, like allocating more than a billion dollars and then questioning this himself, uh, that hasn't helped a lot. And then, so I think that could be a strong thing that could potentially like start more regulation and start more things that wouldn't necessarily like reflect favorably on, on, on the prices. So I think that that would still be my biggest concern is that this is something that's still relatively misunderstood and that people don't really actually spend time on understanding this in more depth. Uh, and I think it's it's kind of silly in that they, there actually really isn't any kind of like serious research that has uh, looked into this exactly, like how, how many renewables right now are being used, like what's what's the minor makeup, like everything is outdated and, you know, all the numbers that I see cited constantly, like the 40% number that, that 40% is coming uh, from renewable energy, I would guess it, it's much lower than that. And and so I think that, that that would be my biggest concern is that uh, this is going to be something that politicians kind of really grab and, and try to um, like regulate mining and regulate Bitcoin in a way just because they, they kind of misunderstand the issues. I mean, testament to that argument is how aggressive the rejection of NFTs from some circles were because of proof of work. Exactly. Like that was that was like I did not have on my bingo card, uh, you know, activists shitting on the first thing to actually pay artists in about ever because of environmental concerns. You know, that was crazy to me. Exactly. I, I had the same exact reaction. And then people like miss kind of misquoting some of the numbers, like saying that one NFT transaction costs this much and whatever, right? Like this much, it, it destroys environment this much if you just buy one NFT. Like, it's just crazy how easy it is to spread information that is not based in facts. And, and people clearly get emotional around environmental concerns. And so I think I, I would still be worried the most about that. And, and just about someone overreacting to an issue that really would be hard to regulate, honestly. All right, Larry, uh, awesome to chat. Shorter cycle theory. We're going to come back in a couple months and see um, where we are. Hopefully, we're all getting rich again and uh, and, and we, we can triumphantly say we were right. It was a shorter cycle. <laughs> but uh, but that I guess that necessarily means that the top will also be shorter. But either way, I appreciate you hanging out. Uh, always great to chat to you, man. Yeah, thanks a lot. And uh, yeah, I'll definitely be happy to revisit this. 
The four most dangerous words in investing are this time it's different. Still, I think when it comes to crypto markets and this bull cycle, this time it's different. There are new sets of actors, new catalysts for people joining, higher conviction around the assets that exist, more reasons, in other words, for bearish downturns to be less pronounced, less long-lived. The flip side, as we discussed in the show, is that the tops might also not look the same way that they used to. Ultimately, only time will tell, but I hope this show gave you a different way to look at what's been happening and where we are. And like I said in the conversation with Larry, we'll check back in in a couple months to see if shorter cycle theory is really a thing. For now, guys, I hope you have a great weekend. Until tomorrow, be safe and take care of each other. Peace. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Spring is in full bloom. Are your finances? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, you can build credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments, all with no annual fees or interest. With Chime's Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details.